You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Hey there, welcome to 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. I'm Lindsay and I'm joined by my co-host and real life partner Carling. We're diving into the 90s hit drama through today's lens. Get ready for our off the cuff commentary and peeling back the layers of the Camden family. We'll tackle everything from family rules, life lessons and 90s fashion. Join us every week for a lighthearted queer perspective and a trip down memory lane. Whether you're a diehard fan or new to the show, this recap is for you. So find us anywhere you get your podcasts at 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. And I remember just looking at Steph and I'm like, did he just say you need to repent for loving gay people? And Steph was like, I think he did. And it was like that moment where I was like... Hey, Michelle. Hey, Carling. Whoa. Whoa. We are recording on a mic that's not our normal mic. I know. I hope you can. Hopefully it feels, hopefully it feels okay. Hopefully it feels okay for those of you listening. <laughs> How's it feel, guys? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think we need to make an announcement that this could potentially be our last uh, podcast recording ever. Mm-hmm. I think Would it's... you like to tell the people why? Well, a few weeks ago, months ago, I announced that I was going on a four-day hike, and then later I announced that I was no longer going on the four-day hike. But then... What happened? Well, <laughs> I'm easily persuaded. All of your friends were jumping off a bridge and you decided you needed yeah, to do it too. My friends convinced me that like, I had already paid for the helicopter and I just needed to do it and that it wasn't much of a hike. It's more of a nature walk. And a 14-kilometer be... a day nature walk sounds Yeah, yeah it's sounds like... Legit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, okay, you're right. I'll do it. But now it's coming up on Tuesday. Yeah. And, well, the day. If you're listening to this, I'm on a mountain. God. Uh, like, I don't know what to say other I than I now feel like I had to buy bear spray. Because mm-hmm. we all have to have holsters on our hips with you bear spray. You still haven't figured out how to poop in the woods. No. Oh, no. I don't know. <laughs> I gave up on that because I didn't think I was going. You never practice once. <laughs> <laughs> you obviously haven't been in your backyard. <laughs> And I have a bear spray that I, it's not even unwrapped. I don't know how to do it. Please unwrap it before you yeah. encounter a bear. <laughs> Hold sir, on, sir. Just a bear, second. Just please. <laughs> hang on. Do you have scissors? Why do they make these so hard to get off? <laughs> and yeah, so then, so a coworker lent me her backpack, which uh-huh. is amazing because they are super expensive. And I need a backpack to get me through four days of backcountry camping yeah and so the other day i was like oh i should take a walk with it like i'll put some weight in it and yeah but it hurts <laughs> like it hurts my feet hurt and my calves hurt when yeah. i'm walking with the yeah. backpack i mean it's basically like you strapped a five-year-old to your back mm-hmm. 
That's yeah, ridiculous. It is like that. And so I'm going. Oh, I'm right. leaving. I've already said that I will avenge you if anything happens to you. I mean, what does that even mean? Are you going to come I don't know. And murder bears? Yeah, I will. If a bear gets you. What if I fall off a cliff? How do you I avenge? Punch the cliff. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Michelle might be in the market for another co-host. No, no one else could do it like I you. think we have quite a few contenders. Yeah, we do. Oh, oh no, I see. I, I have see. a list. <laughs> You're already in talks with them. Oh, God. Well. Everything will be fine. Yeah, so I'm leaving. Well, I should post a picture that day of what I You need to, yeah. I'm going to post a picture that morning before we hit the trailhead because there's no cell service. We need, like, proof of life mm -hmm. Well, I was going to say, if I go missing, you'll know what I'm wearing. Okay, that's good. Make it good for the missing poster. mm -hmm. Yeah, like just a selfie of my face with makeup on. (laughs) This is not what she looks like. (laughs) Photoshop it, yeah. Don't don't do that. But we're going to leave Mount Shark, Mount Shark Head. I don't know, some Mount Shark. And we're going to hike 14 kilometers and then camp overnight. Uh-huh. And then the next day we get up and we hike another 14 kilometers. Then we make it to Mount Assiniboine, all things fingers crossed. And then we get to sleep in like a little wood hut And when do you get your nights. cinnamon bun? <laughs> At the top. <laughs> there is just nothing but cinnamon buns waiting for me. And then on Friday morning, or Friday afternoon, a helicopter comes and whisks us away to safety. Please tell me that if you are in a stretcher. Yes. And it's yes. spinning. Mm-hmm. Someone will re- be recording it. If you know, you know. <laughs> you guys have to Google, like, woman in stretcher on a helicopter. Oh. It was a video that went viral, like, three years ago, maybe. Man. And this woman had to be airlifted out of a canyon, mm-hmm. and she was strapped to a... Stretcher. Stretcher, and then the helicopter was going to lift her up, and yeah. then, like, slowly she would ascend to the helicopter where they put her in, except something went horribly <sighs> wrong, and she started s- rotating, I'll say. Spinning like a friggin' top. And then <laughs> the centrifugal force made her lose consciousness yeah i would think so you could hear this uh, person on the radio being like oh no no oh no she's definitely lost consciousness by now and she was just spinning and spinning so if that happens somebody best get their cameras out and make that a i mean if if you go to a mountain and something happens to you and it doesn't go viral it wasn't worth it yeah anyway that's all i'm gonna say how was your week meh yeah yeah i don't know yeah Kids had camp. Kids had camp. They did bike camp. camp. The, the three youngest. Yeah. Uh, they had a lot of fun. They loved it. So hot outside, though. So like, hot. I would not want to be biking. I had to, I have to laugh at you a little bit because, like, you were off Wednesday, so you did the Wednesday drop off and pick up. Yeah. But I did Monday, Tuesday drop off. Yeah. And yeah, it is a bit of a shiitake yeah. show. Yeah. Having to, like, get three kids under the age of six. Into a car with their helmets, with their snacks, with their water, mm-hmm. sunscreen, with their bikes. Then you get to the parking lot. You have to, have to un- pick them up at daycare yeah, first. Yeah, pick two of them up at daycare, load them all in, get to the camp, unload three bikes, 
They can't move those bikes by themselves. They're so awkward. And it's a parking lot. So yeah. they're going to get hit by a car. I'm yeah. shocked one of them didn't. Yeah. I'm like, stand on the grass. And they're excited and they're yeah. ready to go. I'm but trying they're... to sunscreen them yeah, while it's... somebody else is asking about something. And then, yeah. Yeah, it was not easy. And I sent you a message uh, with a little a man tipping his hat yeah. <laughs> or something, clapping hands. I don't know. Because we got to the bike camp and we forgot a backpack. So I had to go back and get it. And Jude's bike's tire had a hole in it. So yeah. then I had to go back and get a different bike. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a mess. Um, but anyways, I had a lot of fun and it worked out. I think we could just be an ongoing advertisement for why people should only have one kid. Honestly, if you think <laughs> that having kids after listening to this podcast is a good idea, you're not listening. Yeah. <laughs> Michelle loves her kids. They're just driving her crazy. Yeah. I'm ready for summer to be over. Oh, my God. Shut <laughs> your mouth. I need school to start. Oh, my God. <laughs> You know that commercial of the guy yeah, going through the, the aisles. Most wonderful, wonderful time. Throwing school year. supplies in yeah. the cart. Yeah. That needs to be me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you ever cared to ask Michelle, mm. I am not doing well. Aside from my impending doom on Mount Assiniboine. Are we having a bad day off? No, my girlfriend bad life left. Off. Your girlfriend left you? Yeah. Finally. Oh my god! Lindsay left for two and a half weeks to go to Ontario, and and your sad little puppy left behind. Yeah, I know. We're gonna go. Not being empathetic enough. No, I really need full empathy here. I'm very sad for you. She, I'm going there, but not for twelve more days. So we have twelve days where we don't see each other. You need to talk about the text messages? Because <laughs> I Maybe. think you're seeing each other. Maybe you shouldn't be sitting beside me. A little me bit too much. Looking over at my text messages. Definitely shouldn't <laughs> She's going to die. I learned that the hard I way. If I, if, if I get a text, just avert your eyes. <laughs> Kids these days with their technology and their Oh, pictures. God. Um, I am... So stoked for this week's episode. Me too. We talked to Katie and Steph. I love them. They're the best. We had such an amazing conversation. I could have chatted with them forever. Yeah. And so I did want to point out, so um, so Steph is transgendered. She was assigned male at birth. Mm-hmm. And she married uh, Katie, yep. who is cisgendered. Yep. But so we kind of glaze over a lot of that. Yes. On purpose because we're having them back for a future episode Mm -hmm. because I want to give sort of that um, piece of their story its own episode. I I do too. Okay. It's me. (laughs) I want to. (laughs) And so we're going to have them both back and we're going to talk about Steph's journey to discovering her Mm -hmm. true identity Mm -hmm. and what that looked like. And so this uh, episode is really important and it will tie in really nicely yeah. with the next time. We'll and this episode is all about them growing up in the Mormon church mm-hmm. and the faith and getting married and having kids and then deciding to leave. Mm-hmm. And it was so interesting to talk to them, especially from uh, my point, like my perspective as someone who was raised Catholic. Yeah. To kind of see the difference and the I can see a lot. Yeah, I was like, I could see a lot of similarities and a lot of differences. Yes, in, in the two religions over and kind here of, in like in uh, not atheistville uh, agnostic agnostic yeah. world. 
I don't know. Like, do you it wear the great. Catholic underwear? <laughs> Catholics don't wear any underwear. Oh, Jokes no. on you. <laughs> JK, JK, JK. Well, if that's not going to be a sticker, I don't know what will be. Let me see your Catholic undies. My God. Guys, thank you so much for... Oh, and sorry. Okay, no. I'm not thanking you just yet. Real quick. Wow. Uh, just this past week, we uh, had one of our Patreon episodes come mm-hmm. out. And we covered and solved, we if solved. I do say so myself. Yeah. The mystery of who killed Jean Benet Ramsey. Yeah. And so we're trying something new. Our Patreon is kind of all over the place. You get a little bit. We have over 35 episodes mm-hmm. and they cover our own traumas growing up that we've been through. Other people, guests who have asked just to keep their stories on Patreon. Uh, we cover a little bit of true crime. We cover sort of life updates that are a little more personal and in-depth than yeah. we do here on the main feed. I was going to say, so far the trauma scale is heavily on your side. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we're, we're tipping it over to mine eventually here. We are here. getting yours done. <laughs> but yes, if Patreon has taught me nothing, it's that I've been through a lot. You've been through some shit, yeah. And it's wild. So yeah. anyway, so check it out. Go to patreon.com slash I did not sign up for this. And for $5 a month, you get instant access to all of these bonus episodes. Mm -hmm. So do that. Do it. And also have a great day. Yeah, absolutely. And And send all of your positive uh, thoughts to Carling and her adventure. Listen, folks, if this is the last time I'm recording an intro, please know that it has been the highlight of my life. You cannot say that because now you are going to die. Uh, no, listen, I'm not going to die because I don't light up a room. Right. I don't have magnetic chemistry you or whatever You don't have any say. old videos of yourself. No, like dancing around. No. And the people who die have all of these like yeah. journals and videos. You're not a free spirit. I'm not a free spirit. I don't light up a room when I walk in. Yeah. So. All right. Godspeed. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>
Yeah, they do. <laughs> That's so nice. I have five dogs and I'm dating a woman with one dog. Plus we've temporarily like we're looking after my friend's dog. So like at any given time, there's up to seven dogs <laughs> and we're just like, we're just those ladies. We're just yeah. like, we have a so lot are of dogs. We. We're those ladies too. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. It's like my favorite thing. We understand that chaos. Awesome. And Steph, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Steph. I am also in my 30s. Uh, Katie and I live together. Uh, we'll probably get into it, but we uh, got married about 10 years ago, and I'm a transgender woman. So we have kind of a complicated history, but we are still best friends. We still have a great relationship together. Um, so I guess that's part of the reason we're here today is to talk about our story. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. And I'm just did the math. Katie, you said you're 30. You guys were just babies when you got married. Yep. <laughs> we were 19 when or I was 19 when we met and then got married at 20. Well, we were raised in the Mormon culture and yeah. well, in the Mormon church and in Mormon culture, people get married really young and really fast. too. Yeah, yeah I find that really fascinating. That. Yeah. It's definitely not uncommon here to see <laughs> no. 19 year old women getting married and having a baby. Yeah. 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 So yeah, one of the things, um, part of your story, it was a lot to unpack, but you made this really powerful TikTok about growing up in the Mormon church, uh, getting married, sort of like living the life that uh, you just assumed you were going to live and then, and then coming to the decision to leave the church. And then followed by Steph, you sort of like coming to a new identity and or discovering your true identity, I should say, yeah. um, and that whole navigation. So I'm really interested. I don't, I feel like I don't know anybody in the Mormon church. I'm, the only thing I know about, uh, well, they, they go by Jesus, what, sorry, what are they? Latter-day Saints. <laughs> um, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Right. The only thing I know about them is the influencers that I follow on Instagram, <laughs> and it's a lot. Like, it's, are they still Mormon? Yes. Oh, I see. Okay. Yes. I see. And it seems, yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, yeah Michelle grew up Christian. Catholic, yeah, yeah, and I grew up without religion. Yeah, so I'm really interested, maybe just to have you both talk a bit about growing up in the church, and then what it was like, how you guys met, and and that whole story. Yeah, so I guess I'll start first, and there are a couple layers to my experience, but I grew up in a home that was very traditionally Mormon. My parents had been married in a Mormon temple. They had five children. They were married very young. I'm the middle child, and growing up, it was just a very orthodox religious home. We went to church every Sunday, sitting together as a family. Um, we would do scripture study at night and pray together. Um, and I was just kind of taught from infancy all these teachings that that religion espouses. And a lot of them are just typical traditional family values and things like that. Um, but there are some unique beliefs in the Mormon church that sort of influence this culture that we've been talking about. They believe in their own individual scripture that kind of is exclusive to Christianity as a whole or exclusive to the Mormon church. They believe that they have modern prophets that speak with God today. And so I grew up kind of reading those scriptures and listening to these leaders of the church that are revered as prophets and apostles. And I guess I would say that growing up in that context, nothing really seemed unusual to me. Because I didn't have any reference point to compare it to. I didn't know what it was like to grow up 
as Catholic or grow up without a religion. So it was just very normal to me. Are there Mormon churches that like, um, I went to a Catholic high school. That's where I met Michelle. She went to Catholic school her whole life. Are there like Mormon schools? I would say that probably the most popular one is Brigham Young University or BYU. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So that's the college down in Utah County of Utah. And they have little branches of that. There's a BYU-Idaho and BYU-Hawaii. Uh-huh. Um, n- not a lot of them, but some branches like that. But yeah, I wouldn't say that there's anything comparable to like a, a high school equivalent yeah. to that. Uh-huh. And I find it interesting because, yeah, you wouldn't have really any other influence outside of your community unit. And like today we have TikTok. So I think yeah. like so, there's so much more influence just in kids' hands. Yeah. And I was growing up, you know, it's kind of embarrassing to say, but you, I think both of you can relate is the internet wasn't really readily available in my early childhood. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it was just the community that you had around you and growing up in a suburb of Utah, everybody was members of the church. So the kids that I sat with in Sunday school were the same kids that I sat with in public school. That belief system really just permeated every aspect of my life. And, and and also in in Utah, a lot of the businesses are are run yeah. by Mormons. The government mm-hmm. is run by Mormons. Essentially, yeah. yeah. I mean, they don't explicitly state that, but a lot of the right. legislatures and people in the Senate, like these, are people who are active participating members of the church. Right, right. And a lot of businesses are closed on Sunday to observe the Sabbath. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah. So yeah, it's a it's a very interesting culture to be brought up in. But like we said, like it didn't seem unusual to me as I was growing up in that because I didn't know any different. Yeah, it wasn't ever presented as like this is what we believe. It was the whole religion was presented as this is what is real. Yeah. Right. This is your reality. And I know a lot of religions kind of express these same sentiments, but Growing up, you know, you're taught that this church that you belong to is not just a church, but this is the church. This is the only true and living church on the face of the whole earth. Everybody else has their own belief systems, but to some degree or another, they're deceived and they've been led away from the church. But this church that you're being raised in, it's the only true church. And to deviate from that would be to, you know, jeopardize your eternal salvation. And so it's not just a small thing, but it's a very, very... A significant part of growing up that you realize this church you belong to is central to your identity, to your existence, and to, you know, how you're going to end up living with God again one day is by staying true to this church. That's a lot for a kid. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And then Katie, was your upbringing similar? Yeah, my upbringing was similar. I was raised in the church. My family was probably a little bit less active in the church. Like, we didn't necessarily go to church every single Sunday. We didn't necessarily pray together as a family every single day. But the morals and ideals and values were still very much believed and taught in my family. And we didn't deviate from what we thought was right and true. You know, so like, there wasn't ever coffee in my house. There wasn't ever alcohol in my house. Uh, My parents still tried not to break the Sabbath, like, meaning... We don't go places really on Sunday. You don't spend mm-hmm. money on Sunday. You don't play with friends on Sunday. So, <laughs> that's yeah. really, yeah, that's really interesting. And so did you guys grow up going to the same church or t- is it called a temple? It's, that's a good question. So the Mormon church as a whole is just kind of one church, one religion, but they have different chapels set up all throughout the world. 
So while we attended the same church or the same religion, Katie was, you know, going to church in her own chapel up where she lived, and I was in a different one. The okay. temples are kind of, they're separate. They're these buildings where they do kind of sacred cult-like things. <laughs> I was going to say, there's a secret handshake, isn't there? Yeah, there is. Yeah. Yeah, there's a couple secret handshakes, but... TikTok yeah, has um, really taken me down the yeah. down the rabbit hole of ex-Mormons. Yes. And I'm like, this is fascinating. <laughs> and, and it's funny because growing up in it, like, you don't think it's just so normal to you. Yes, I mean, you don't learn yeah. about any of like the handshakes or the temple ceremonies until you go through the temple. Which is right. probably like in your twenties at least. It, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, some kids go on missions at 18 or 19 and they'll go through the temple before. But typically for like a woman, she doesn't go through the temple until she's she's getting married married or going on a mission. You're not taught anything that happens in the temple. In fact, everything that happens in the temple is you're told it's incredibly sacred. It's not secret, but we don't talk about it. But like it (laughs) is secret, you know, (laughs) right? Right. Yeah. But you're told it's incredibly sacred and it's like very, very, very disrespectful to talk about any of it outside of the temple. So you go into the temple, not really having any idea what you're getting into. And then you have to like make all these covenants to God that you promise to obey. And yeah, they dress you up in white. uh, And then they have a lot of ceremonies where, you know, people gather around in circles. There's a lot of chanting. There's a lot of handshakes and, making pretty serious promises that, you know, you'll never betray God and you'll sacrifice even your own life if it's necessary to build Oof, up this kingdom. Uh, yeah. And wow. yeah, it's really heavy, especially for people that kind of don't know what they're getting into when yeah. they go in. Well, and you covenant to never, um, what does it say? Speak ill of the Lord's anointed. Yeah. So basically you covenant to never disagree or criticize, criticize like the leaders of the church. Yeah. And... I mean, there's no informed consent. You go in and you have to, you have to make all these covenants, but you don't know what you're doing beforehand. And then there's all this pressure in there. They give you like one chance before you do all the ordinances to leave if you don't feel ready, but nobody really ever does because there's yeah. so much pressure. I was going to say, like, that's like peer pressure. Yeah, I wouldn't leave. Absolutely. I'd be like, I'll just go through this. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like you don't, nobody wants to deal with the shame of being the person who is like, I actually don't feel ready. Because you will be so heavily shamed for doing that. And once you start doing all the ordinances and covenants and things like that, like they don't give you a chance to change your mind after that. They only give you a chance right before. And then once you start and you know what you're getting into, you're just kind of stuck there. I find that so interesting. I was raised Catholic and I have my own issues with the Catholic church. Um, But when it comes to things like that, like the sacraments, um, first communion and, and that kind yeah. of stuff. There's a lot of teaching ahead of time and a lot of like, this is what you're promising and this is what you're kind of getting into. Mm-hmm. It's not like a, it's not a secret. Yeah, until it's not, yeah. 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 So it's just really interesting. And, and it almost makes you question like, why is it a secret? Why aren't right. we being prepared for this? Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's just, it's control really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And your condition from childhood so that, you know, like, as little kids in primary classes, they have you singing songs about how you look forward to go to the temple one day. Mm-hmm. And then when you do, it's supposed to be this big celebratory experience. And a lot of people go in kind of thinking, 
what did I just do? But then right. it's too late. Like you can't leave or you can't go back. It's your whole family's a part of it. And and almost no one will admit how weird it is to go through the temple. Right. Because everybody goes through the temple and they just talk about how they felt like this great, they had this big spiritual moment where they really felt like the spirit of the Lord. And it was this beautiful, sacred experience. And it's funny because you talk to people who come out of the church and they're like, yeah, I lied about that. Like I felt weeded <laughs> out the whole time. And there's a part in the temple where like you go through a veil, like you walk through a curtain and it's symbolic of like going through the veil and going to heaven to meet God. And I remember when I went through that for the first time, I just like, I broke down and I just sobbed and I didn't um. know. I remember thinking like, I don't know why I'm sobbing. I don't know why I'm freaking out right now. And now learning a lot more about mental health and <laughs> panic disorders and anxiety disorders. I look back and like, oh, I just had like a mini panic attack yeah. in the temple because I had just covenanted to all these things that I didn't know ahead of time. And I just felt so overwhelmed. And my whole family was there staring at me and Steph's family was there staring at me as I go through the veil. And it was just a lot of pressure. And, and this was off. this was before, like right before you got married as well. Yeah, this was a couple weeks before we. No, oh, I mean, like, talk. You're not gonna back out. You, yeah. If this is, you know, it's like, well, I'm. I want to get married, and if this is right. what I have to do, then this is what I have to do. Wow. I just yeah. looked up, I keep having the word indoctrination go through my head, so I yeah. looked up the definition, <laughs> mm -hmm. and it's the process of teaching a person or group to accept a set of beliefs uncritically, and so yeah. that is kind oh, of yeah. like from childhood. Oh, yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. I think in any religion, you're yeah. sort of like indoctrinating them into this belief system yeah. and not to question it. Right. Absolutely. I mean, in, in primary, so primary is like the section of church that kids go to from the time mm -hmm. they're between the ages of three and 11 or 12. And in primary, like you're taught very fundamental lessons. You learn all these primary songs and a lot of them are like, follow the prophet. And there's, there's a song that just talks about following the prophet, but you repeat, follow the prophet, like what, how, like 47 times yeah. in the song. Oh my I gosh. Think. It's, it's very much indoctrination for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. They solidify it when you're young and that's why so many people stay i mean you have a lot of really smart mm -hmm. well-educated people in the church yes. but they've just this has been their reality from day one and so they and they are so heavily taught to never criticize it yeah. never yeah. think critically about it never really ask questions other than a very small range of approved questions that like the church tells you you can ask and i think that's that's why so yeah. many people stay well, and, and the little that I know about the, the Mormon church, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you're involved with your community and you help and you bring yeah. food and you teach. Mm -hmm. And so the community aspect is so strong and your friendships are so strong that it yeah. probably is just another aspect of we can't and leave. A, like, this is our life. Exactly. In a lot of ways, like making the decision to leave the church I think a lot of people kind of regard that as like a social suicide. Like if you leave, yeah. Yeah. everybody will ostracize you and, you know, family, friends, neighbors, everybody, like you're just cast out and it's, yeah. it's a huge risk to leave that church. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, I'm glad you brought up the community because there are a lot of beautiful things about the church. I don't want to just sit here and say it's the worst thing ever. It's totally mm -hmm. terrible because there were a lot of things about it that I really enjoyed. And there were a lot of, ways that I really fit into the church. And it was really hard losing those aspects. And one of one of those is 
the community. I mean, at any given moment, you have somebody who will bring you food. Like you have a baby and you have food set up for a week or two. People just, Mm -hmm. different people bring meals every night and people are there to help watch your kids. And it's, it's a really beautiful support system. I really feel that most of the members in the church are really kind people. They're really good people. They're just trying to live the best that they know how to based on Mm -hmm. what they've been told is true. Yeah. And it's, it's the leaders of the church that I think are, are not good. There's a lot of fear mongering done by the leaders. So every six months they do what's called general conference. And that's where all the leaders gather in Salt Lake and they broadcast, um, like basically 10 hours of church. Mm -hmm. And so Saturday you have two different sessions. You have a two hour session in the morning and a two hour session in the afternoon of leaders just giving these like sermons, basically every single general conference, they will, and sorry. And then you have a Saturday evening session and then two more sessions on Sunday, but every single general conference, they will basically gaslight and shame people who have left like just this last conference, they said people who leave are lazy learners and uh, what did they say? Like just very lackluster with their faith. Mm-hmm. And and they say things like that every single general conference. I mean, right. we've been called every name you can think of. And it's harmful to members because it creates very much a, an us versus them dialogue. Yes. And also when you are in the faith, and you have any questions at all, it scares you from even allowing yourself to consciously think of those questions because you're just seeing, you're just seeing how people who leave are talked about or even people who question are talked about and you don't want to be that person, right? You don't want to be the person who has to stand in front of God and have God say those things to you because essentially that's how you feel. You feel like if you question at all, the things that the leaders are saying about people who question is going to be what God says about you. So you're going to stand in front of God and he's just going to tell you, well, you were just a lazy learner. And yeah. why can't I think of any other names? There's so many names. Yeah, talk about being bitter fruit. Oh, bitter fruit. Being, yeah. oh. Essentially, they just demonize people who question and leave the church. And it's yeah. an effective control tactic. Yeah. What I find yeah. interesting and I wanted to ask about was the separation of boys and girls yeah, very I, much it's very sexist i think that'll be really relevant to like telling our larger story so yeah. maybe you could talk about like your experience mm-hmm. growing up as a girl in the church and what yeah. that was like and... yeah it's it's very very sexist but again this is what i was taught was truth this is just how i was raised i was raised in a home with a stay-at-home mom and a dad who went to work mm-hmm. and that was that was my normal you know my mom didn't really go to college she was raised very much that like a woman's job is to have babies and nurture them and that's that's what God wants you to do and that was very very heavily taught to me and there are quite a few more progressive women in the church who encourage their daughters to get an education and to you know work if you want to Mm -hmm. but that was not my experience my experience was definitely more old school like I was actively discouraged from going to school anytime I expressed interest in going to school. My only purpose was to, you know, get married and be a stay-at-home mom and have babies. Mm -hmm. And so I never, ever allowed myself to want anything more than that, which was frustrating. But also there's, 
as you're growing up, like women, young women from the time they're, well, it was 12 when I was growing up and now it's 11. From the time you're 11 until 18, you are in a subset of the organization called Young Women's, Mm -hmm. which is where you learn all the like skills necessary to be a woman. Homemaking skills. Yeah, homemaking skills. To be a woman in the church, you learn all your skills. And there's like a young woman's theme that talks about being faithful and being righteous and being like a daughter of God. And I never thought critically about it, but as I've left the church, it doesn't talk about being like educated or Mm -hmm. it it talks about being faithful and virtuous and yeah. And like growing up, I was given lessons on, on virtue and my lessons consisted of, of object lessons where like my leaders would chew up a piece of gum and then say like, if you have any pre-sex or any uh, premarital sexual relations, you're basically just chewed up gum. And oh, that was my, God. that was, that was my lesson on virtue. Like if yeah. you slip up at all, you're essentially worthless. Oh, and, and I'm sure they weren't teaching you about consent or, oh, no. you know, saying no. no or anything like that. No. Like my reaction to that question is to laugh because yeah. it's just so ridiculous that they would even stop to teach young women about rape or about, you know, threats that they face and like their right to say no. In fact, I was taught exactly the opposite. I was taught that if a young man asked me out, I needed to say yes, because it was so hard for him to gain the courage to ask me out that even if I felt uncomfortable, I say yes to like pad his ego. It's very much like a women serving men. Um, well, and the, you know, don't dress too pro- provocatively because the men can't yeah. control themselves and all of I that. I wish you could see how animated Katie's getting. Like, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'm so upset because yeah, these are things that, like, it, they've, it's caused so many mental health issues yes. as I've aged into an adult, you know, so much like body dysmorphia, so much mm. body hatred, just overthinking every single thing I ever wear, wondering like, am I sending out a certain message to people by wearing this? Like I didn't wear shorts at all, Uh, not even like the knee length shorts that are approved by the church. I didn't wear those at all growing up because I didn't want to even like toe with the line. And yeah, women are taught that like you have to be so modest. You can't wear anything tight fitting. Also, it can't be too loose fitting so that if you bend over, like you can see down the shirt, like it's yeah. just the right amount of tight fitting. You can't wear shorts this length. You can't wear tank tops. You can't wear crop tops. You can't mm-hmm. do all these things because you will give men the wrong idea. And you are just this sexual creature that men will lust after and it's your job to make sure that they stay in line. And yeah. it's just such a damaging thing to it teach is to so women. Damaging. And to men. It's one hundred percent a damaging thing to teach yes. to men and women. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. So how did you guys meet then? Um, so real quick before we get to that, I'll lead up to that. But yeah. Growing up in the church, I mentioned earlier how like my story kind of had layers to it. And um, as you may know, the church is functions on like a very heteronormative basis. So men like marriage as defined by God is a man marrying a woman and like full stop. There's no other way to interpret that. So any kind of gay or lesbian lifestyles as they would call it 
are not only disapproved, but it's theologically sinful and uh, immoral to engage in that kind of and behavior. And it's a choice. God wouldn't make you that way. Right. right? right. He wouldn't make you that way and then tell you that that's wrong to live that way. That's just not how God would work. Right. So boys and girls are raised never to consider the fact that their sexual orientation might be anything other than, you know, men being attracted to women and vice mm-hmm. versa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or gender so, identity, right? If that, you're yeah. assigned male That's, at birth, you're a boy and... Yeah, exactly. That's what yeah. I was going to say next is they have codified into their theology these documents written by prophets that say, you know, your gender identity is this. Like, that's who you were before you were born. That's who you are now. That's who you will be eternally. And so the church never allows any of its members to even consider the possibility that they could be gay, that they could be bi, that they could be pansexual, that they could be transgender, anything like that. So if you're somebody who feels that way, the only really conclusion for you to draw is there must be something wrong with me, the way that I'm born. Like, I don't know why I feel this way, but for me, I grew up as a young child, you know, I was assigned male at birth, but I grew up and I wanted to get together with the other kids in the neighborhood so we could play house. And every time we got together, I wanted to be the mom. When I was told, you know, boys don't get to be moms, it was just something that felt so unfair to me, mm-hmm. and I didn't really understand why. Um, and I remember in elementary school at recess, all the boys would go outside and they would go play football together, and all the girls would go outside to do cheer and dance and things like that. And I always went with the girls because that's just what I related to, and that felt right to me. Aww. And eventually all the other boys started bullying me and they would say things like, why are you always with the other girls? Do you want to be a girl? Oh, you think you're a girl, don't you? And they would start laughing at me. And I just, I was so confused because I didn't know what I was doing wrong, you know, that I had violated these social boundaries. Mm -hmm. But as I grew up and became older, I realized that socially and definitely within like the teachings of my church, these feelings that I had about myself were wrong. They were bad. They were immoral. And so there was something about me that I needed to fix so that I could be like everybody else. And so I spent so much of my upbringing, you know, on my knees in tears, just pleading with God that he would fix me, that he would make me like the other boys and take away these thoughts and feelings that I had about myself. By the time I reached adulthood, I just really didn't like myself. I was dealing with so much anxiety and depression and I just, yeah, I hated myself. But even at that point, I didn't accept that I was transgender, just that I had this character flaw that I was still trying to overcome. And I knew that if I was faithful enough, if I was righteous enough, those feelings would be taken away. So as I got older, I thought, I know that if I get married and if I have children and start a family, God will bless me and these feelings will be taken away and everything's going to work out fine. Mm -hmm. So Katie and I met each other and we did fall in love. And we both thought, you know, based on our upbringing, this is the right thing to do next. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. That's I, so awful. I talk, um, I did a, another podcast a few weeks ago for my coming out story. And I can just relate to this. Like, I never, I didn't grow up religious, so I didn't have the mm-hmm. religious aspect of it. But I was ne- also never given the, I never had any representation in media. My family didn't talk yeah. about it. I talk about my only exposure to the queer community was Jerry Springer because that was what was on TV and I remember just wanting so badly to understand like when you know all the girls had crushes on boys I knew I didn't get it the same way that they got it and without language and without representation Mm -hmm. and without I can't even imagine also having 
the heaviness of a church on top of it you know like I was just this little like heathen without (laughs) church and I and I this was my experience and so I couldn't imagine feeling all of that and then also having this uh pressure from your entire world yeah I'm just oh I just want to like scoop little Stephanie up as a kid (laughs) and like be like it's okay we're gonna get through this like it's yeah I mean looking back it's it's really really hard and I think a lot of you know, straight cisgender people look at people who are queer, you know, gay or lesbian or trans, and they think like, you know, you're a full grown adult. Like, how are you just figuring this out now? Yeah. It's like, you don't understand like all the cultural barriers that stand in the way of you figuring yourself out. Yeah. So, you know, Katie and I got married and we'll talk more about our story, but there's a lot to really like deconstruct and pull apart so that you can really get to the core of that and figure out this is who I am. Yeah, and I can't remember the term for this phenomenon, but your brain will also, like, protect you from emotional pain. Mm -hmm. So, like, it will, your brain will find a lot of, what is the word I'm looking for? Like, belief perseverance and... Oh, biases. Biases. Anyways, your Mm -hmm. your brain will, like, find things that support your thoughts and the way you feel and, like, ignore things that contradict it because cognitive dissonance, that's what I'm looking for. Um, it'll just like allow you to kind of like hang out in this spot without letting these two contradicting thoughts touch because Mm -hmm. if they can just be separate, Mm -hmm. then you can remain stable. Everything and you can, you can avoid that mental trauma, that mental, mental anguish that you know it will bring. And, and it does all this subconsciously, like you can exist in that space where you know that your gender doesn't feel right, but consciously you won't accept that. Like you won't acknowledged um i'm interested in it because steph you talked about you know dealing with depression katie you've talked a lot about mental health what is the mormons the mormon church's stance on mental health i think historically for a long time it's been seen as you know you may think you're depressed or experiencing this but if you'll just pray and seek the lord out and help the lord will bless you to overcome those feelings So historically, I think it's been like a spiritual concern that Mm -hmm. depression isn't necessarily real. We don't subscribe to this, you know, pop psychology today that, you know, people deal with these kinds of issues. It's like a mark or a sign of unrighteousness or unfaithfulness. It's definitely a moral weakness. To the church's credit, I think in recent years, they've tried to walk back a lot of that and they, you know, try to encourage people to seek out help if they really are suffering from mental illness but anybody who, you know, grew up pre-internet age, mm-hmm. I think the prevailing and dominant dominant thinking was that it was some kind of a spiritual weakness if you right. claim to be experiencing any kind of mental health disorders. Yeah. Michelle, do you think that I feel like that's the same with the Catholic Church? They've yeah. recently taken a different yeah. stance, but like in terms of like even suicide, there was a time where you couldn't have a Catholic funeral mm-hmm. if somebody died by suicide mm-hmm. and they've changed that now because they recognize it as a mental health crisis yeah it seems like they they've been yeah trying trying to, to but in yeah but long ago and when I was growing up it was you don't have enough God in your life and just yeah. pray 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 right yeah. and and everything will be fine and and then now you have all of us millennials who are <laughs> we're like Wait a so minute. screwed up yeah. like <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable the the mental health, you know, challenges that we've all had because of, I mean, the religion and, and everything else. So, 
And it's not yeah. just the religion. No. Like, we no. shouldn't put all of that blame on religion. It's very much, like, the culture. I don't know mm-hmm. what the culture is like there, but that was very much the culture here, yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Becoming yeah. queer, or being queer is far more acceptable socially now than it ever was in the 90s or the early 2000s. I find that anything I've ever, I've heard about the Mormon church and the like LGBTQ um, plus yeah. community, they don't really talk about it or they will say that they are fine with it, but then I've heard the other side where they're not. So what is their stance now on? Yeah. It seems like an avoidance. It's essentially oh, their theological position on it now is essentially the same that it's ever been. They talk about it differently now, but the point is, if you're gay or if you're trans, that's fine. You can you can be gay, you can be trans. But the moment you act on that identity, mm-hmm. so if you're a woman who's attracted to woman to women, the moment you you know physically engage another woman or romantically engage another woman, that's sinful behavior. If you're trans, that's fine. But the moment you start to socially transition and say, hey, here are my pronouns or this is this name that I like to go by, once you do that, you're subject to ter- church discipline. And your behavior is seen as sinful. Wow. It's so frustrating because they Mm -hmm. tell queer people, you're welcome here. We want you. We value you. Mm -hmm. But if you take any steps towards authenticity, it's a violation of their beliefs. Well, and let's talk for a minute about like the whole plan of salvation for the church. So just to give you like a really rough overview, the church believes that like we lived in a spirit world before we came to earth we lived with god and jesus who are separate people in the mormon church i know that that's not a common belief in in other Mm -hmm. churches but like god and jesus are separate you lived in heaven with them you chose to follow christ's plan you came to earth you get a body you die and then you're going to be judged and you can go to one of the three different mormon heavens and wow, <laughs> um, everybody obviously wants to go to the best of the best heaven, right? Like you right, have to go to yeah. the top one, which is the celestial kingdom, like the diamond but, level. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I feel exactly. like. <laughs> it's like an MLM, right? Yeah, <laughs> like MLM. and MLMs are huge in the Mormon culture. Oh, yeah, yes. it's yes. true. But um, but there's there is zero space for anybody queer in Mormon heaven. In fact, you're taught that, like, if you are able to withstand your temptations and be faithful in this life, then God's going to fix you in the next life and make you straight and cis. And, yeah, it's just so, um, it's it's just the least validating thing ever. I feel like jokes on them. I'm going to go and start a rainbow heaven. (laughs) I was going to say, yeah, right. Mormon heaven sounds so awful. Especially it sounds women. super lame. <laughs> but I, th- I think about that. Like for queer kids growing up in the church, if you know in your heart that you're gay or you're trans or whatever, the best sell that the Mormon church has for you is just, well, don't get married. Don't love anybody. Don't experience like a fulfilling, meaningful relationship yeah. that everybody else gets to just do. Wait. Just be celibate. And when you oh. die, then God's going to fix you and everything's going to be okay. Like that's the best possible outcome. And that's just heartbreaking to me. Well, they also teach to either be celibate or get yourself into a mixed orientation relationship. Like even though you know you are not straight, Mm -hmm. just be straight for a little bit. Like just be straight for this life. Yeah, listen, kids. I tried that; it didn't work. That's it. Not in there. Many work. Mormons can tell you. They yeah, tried it. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or many ex-Mormons, I should say. Yeah, 
Wow. So how did I'm interested to hear how you guys met? Yeah. So we both worked for the LDS Church's insurance company in Salt Lake. LDS and Mormon is the same. Yeah. LDS is just Latter-day Saints. Um, So we dealt with medical and dental insurance claims as well as savings and retirement plans. So yeah, they just kind of had one company that handled everything for employees of the church and people affiliated with the church. So we met there. We just met in the lunchroom. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I had just started working there. You'd worked there for a couple years and you were, I, was, I think you said you were attracted to my beard. Yeah, you then. you had rest in peace to that beard. You would have <laughs> it was a great beard. It was a great beard. But yeah, I was just sitting alone. I didn't know anybody. And Steph invited me over to come sit at the table with her and everybody else. And well, there were like four or five other people there. But yeah, and we just started talking and went on a date like a month later. And mm-hmm. yeah, Aww. just hit it off. And yeah. is is dating in the Mormon world um, like more like courting with a yeah um, and like the whole purpose of courting is because you're trying to find a spouse yeah yeah very much definitely yeah. it's less like let's just have fun I mean there are definitely some kids who are like let's just date and have fun but for most people it's like let's date and see if we're compatible to get married and have babies as soon as possible right yeah yeah I think that was the context of our courtship for us dating is like we yeah we wanted to find somebody that we could be married to yep i was in the prime of my life at 19 and it was yeah. time to walk down that was my that was my priority at 19 get oh, married have yeah. babies wow. wow so we dated six months before we got engaged yep yeah and then so. you had like obviously a traditional mormon wedding Yes, got married in the temple, in the Salt Lake Temple. A Mormon wedding is very different than traditional weddings that you've been to mm-hmm. or that you've seen on TV. In in the Mormon church, you both get dressed up in white. The woman is not in a traditional wedding dress. It's, you know, the temple clothes that you wear for the ceremonies that they do. So it's, I don't know, you could easily look it up on Google or see it on TikTok. Yeah. But you're kneeling across from each other, like at an altar. And then somebody, you know, they have this recited words that they go through and you kind of covenant to follow God and be true to each other. Well, you covenant to follow God. I covenant to follow you. Right. Right. Because yeah, you, the male always has the say over the female. It's a very sexist organization and women's kind of like, I don't know. They're just brought up to be submissive to the men. Mm -hmm. 100%. Yeah. Well, and let's, let's talk more about this dress that you wear. Let's talk about what I got married in. So you have to have your body 100% covered all the way down to your wrists. your wrists. Like, I think my hands were the only uncovered thing on my body. Oh, wow. No, I face, have to yeah. be veiled. The women oh, have to my. be veiled. We're not even allowed to yeah. show our faces while we get married. Like, is it air conditioned at least in the building? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it They're is. And the altar's padded. But... Oh, okay. That's nice. Okay. The first thing well, I thought was like, oh, I'd be hot. For a while, so at least yeah. you've got some But yeah, padding. we're reaching across the altar, like holding each other in these secret handshakes that mormons do and there's you know an 80 year old standing above us and he's promising us that you know if we're faithful to all of our covenants then we'll inherit worlds and populate them with children and we'll become gods and goddesses and all these weird things that mormons believe that was our wedding like it wasn't exchanging vows it wasn't like you, you may now kiss the bride it was it wasn't exchanging rings yeah it was 
vowing to be sealed together for time and all eternity and vowing for the male to get all these planets that he gets to populate with different women because they oh. still believe in celestial polygamy right um even if they don't practice it on earth but, but how like, do you get celestial wives if not on earth you can marry it after you die you can oh, oh okay. or or if like your wife dies oh you yeah. can get remarried in the temple only men can get remarried in the temple women can't get remarried in the temple if their spouse dies so you just um, have to be solo until you oh. die and join one of the no you just can't get married in the temple get yeah married. yeah you just can't get you can get married for time but not time oh, at all i see Oh, <laughs> this sounds very heavy. Like it's, very, and it's I think, so complex too. I, I worry that a lot of like the listeners would be like, "Why did they ever believe in this?" <laughs> yeah. like, again, no, we go we, back to indoctrination, yeah. right? Because we weren't ever presented with an alternative. We yeah. were never given yeah. the option to question it. We were, and and we grew up in Utah too, which is like. Uh-huh home base of the Mormons. Everybody yeah. here believes it. So there's nobody here really to challenge your beliefs. Yeah. And, and, and everybody if you challenge theirs, they just kind of like right. don't want to talk to you. Yeah. yeah. Everybody goes on missions. Everybody gets married in the temple. Like that's the gold standard that you're to reach for since you're like a little kid. It's not weird. It's just how life is here. Did Absolutely. you guys both go on a mission? I did. I did not. I, I served uh, two. That's the word they use because it's service somehow, even okay. though it's just like colonization but yeah i i went to south africa for two years and it was kind of i don't know it was a weird experience i've seen um i i watched a documentary on youtube about i'm sure it was the mormons it was specifically about boys going on missions and they like pair them up and they can never be without each other because Mm -hmm. they don't want them to like masturbate or like slip up in any sort of Yep. Way it's and very so you're accurate. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you're right. You're paired up two by two. So women can go on missions, and they're just referred to as sister missionaries. And the boys that go, they're referred to as elders. But you're paired up with a companion that you're with twenty four seven for you know the next eighteen months, twenty four months that you're on your mission for, and your job really is just to go hunt people down and convert them to the church and baptize them. Yeah, that's really it. I, I met a lot of people in Africa who have their own traditions and beliefs that they were raised in in their cultures. And we went around telling them, no, this is wrong. That's not the way you're supposed to live your life. You're oh, supposed to believe in wow. God and Jesus and baptize this way. And you're not supposed to pray to your ancestors or do these dances or do any of these things. You need to be like Western white people. Yeah. And also, so, we know uh, you're poor here in Africa, but please give us 10% of your money. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, no. the tithings. Yeah. 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 I mean, and, and what if someone from Africa came over and tried to do that in Utah? Like, yeah, I know. they would be like, what? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, as how old was I when I went? Like 19? I wasn't socially and political aware, aware enough to realize, like, yeah. hey, what I'm doing is actually harmful. Yeah. And so, yeah, you just celebrate every person that you baptize into the church. and Judge your success based on how many people you can get right. baptized. It is like an MLM. Yeah. It is. Like, how many can you get on your downline? Well, that's why, that's why Mormons are so good at MLMs. Like, that's yeah. why they use summer sales, and they'll go sell security mm-hmm. systems during mm-hmm. the summer and make 50, 60, 70,000, and wow. then just go up about the rest of the year while they go to yeah. school. Wow. That's so interesting. And so what was married life like for you guys as a couple? <laughs> <laughs> um, you com- take that. It's complicated, isn't it? <laughs> talk to 
talk to them about what it was like for you because you got married knowing yeah. that you like had a little bit of a desire or what like a gravitation towards female things but like you still hadn't allowed yeah. yourself to recognize what that meant yeah so again I didn't I didn't get married knowing that I was transgender I didn't get married you know accepting that I was attracted <clears throat> to men or anything like that I full-on was convinced that I was a cisgender straight guy you know I had tendencies to dress like a woman in private moments of my life or like I often looked at women like just feeling jealous like I wish that was the experience that I got to have so when I got married to Katie I figured like everything was just going to fall into place and sex life would be great and you know we'd just be like a happy family and we got to we got married and I quickly realized nothing has changed this made it harder because now you're surrounded by makeup and clothes and yeah all these female things mm. and you have to watch me getting ready and yeah. being a female every day. Yeah. And, yeah. So I feel like our marriage, like platonically, I think it was pretty good. Like we were really good friends and we loved hanging out and, you know, we could stay up really late at night just talking and having a good time. Mm. But when it came to physical intimacy, it was really, really difficult from the very beginning and it never got better. It got way mm. worse. Yeah. And Steph, I like I think it's really important to provide space. Like I want to do an episode on with the two of you on sort of that whole process of okay. self-discovery, but I'm interested in so you had this sort of gravitational pull towards fem typically female things. Yeah. Did you have the language? Did you know what transgender was? No, um, not at all. There were no there was no Laverne Cox, there was no Caitlyn Jenner, there was and I don't know if those names are familiar to you. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah popular people in the media that were trans yeah I'm trying to think like you said earlier like maybe there was an episode of Jerry Springer here and there that you know there was a trans character but they were never portrayed positively in the media no. it was no. always well no it was always seen as a mental health issue it was always yeah. seen as somebody who or like a was, scandal or something yeah. yeah like a scandal or like deviant behavior yeah and that's what yeah. was classified even medically until right recently it was classified as a mental health issue and so there was a medical issue there was never anything in my world to say oh transgender what does that mean or yeah. you know like to learn about these kinds of things it was always just portrayed negatively definitely from the church that i grew up in but just socially yeah. There was no positive representation towards trans people. And again, because of my belief system, I still never even considered that that was part of my world. Right. So I just continued to struggle with these feelings. And, you know, from childhood until adulthood, it had never gone away. There was never like a week that passed by where I just didn't feel this longing to present myself that way, to express myself that way. But I just, to that way yeah, I, so when I was in elementary school, they called me down, like the intercom system, uh, some woman from the office called me down and she got my name wrong and she called me by a girl's name and all the kids in the classroom laughed, but like my heart just like started, oh, it just oh. like exploded. I was like, <gasps> oh. and like, wow. yeah, I just felt that. And like, I really wish there would have been like some positive influence back then to tell me like it's okay this yeah. is who you are and it's okay to feel that way mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and within the church and your marriage was there was there um I don't know re I don't know what sex ed looked like for you guys but I I'm with purity culture being so rampant within churches yeah what kind of support did you have for like how would you know if your sex life was dysfunctional 
in like or you know what I mean like how do you know if it's normal or not and yeah yeah no that's a very good question and honestly those are questions I googled regularly like at least once or twice a week trying to figure out what was if we were normal if this is just what married life was I mean you I always 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 heard women just complaining about how much their husbands always wanted sex and they like that's all their husbands thought about and it was so isolating to me because that was not my experience. Sex yeah. in our house was avoided at all costs mm-hmm. by Steph because it was so, like, emotionally damaging, you know? Yeah. And so, but I didn't know that. I, I was only seeing my side at the time, which I was – I grew up being taught that women are these sexual goddesses and men only want one thing from them. So when you get married and you're, um, your experience is exactly opposite – there's, there's really no only room for you to think like it's me right it's me it's there's every once in a while I would question like maybe your testosterone's low is there an attraction to men like is there a yeah. porn addiction but nothing I saw ever ever backed up any of those thoughts and so I was left with it's me it's something wrong with me. That's why you don't want to have sex with me. Meaning um, you felt like you were ugly or unattractive. Ugly, or... unattractive, fat, repulsive in every way possible, annoying. Yeah. Like all these horrible, <sighs> awful feelings just went through my head all the time. And like that wears you down after Absolutely. years. Absolutely. And, and did you seek out support within your church? Nope. I told no one because again, I figured if there's I no told, help in the church. There's or yeah. no like help. There's no help. And And I figured, like, if I told anybody, no one would even kind of understand what my experience was because Mm -hmm. I had never heard of a woman not being able to have sex in a marriage if she wanted it. Yeah. I've only ever heard of, like, women always having to turn down people who want sex or women always being, like, lusted after. And so Mm -hmm. I just kind of thought, like, if I tell anybody, they're going to look at me and think, like, so what's wrong with you? Like, oh, he probably doesn't want to have sex with you because you are like this. Or, like, I just just assumed they would all start picking me apart the same way I was picking me apart. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. That's really hard. It was. (laughs) It was. That's part of the reason why I'm so vocal about it too because I know that there are other women out there who are in relationships where where sex drives are different you know or needs yeah. aren't being met and like we need to normalize that we mm-hmm. need to normalize that and not only was I hating myself I was creating so much anxiety within myself too mm-hmm. like oh maybe if I'm just better at this then, then she'll be attracted to me. Or maybe if I'm just better at this or do this better or don't do this as much. Like, so every single decision I ever made, every single thing I ever did was like in the back of my mind was the thought, will this make me more attractive or will this make me less attractive? Yeah. So what was the kind of pivotal moment that made you decide to leave the church? You know, I don't know that there was one specific pivotal moment. It was just... Like, all those little moments of cognitive dissonance where it's like, huh. Well, why don't you talk about, like, um, gay people and how Yeah, well, that's one of them. Like, I didn't like how the church talked about gay people. How there was no room in the um, plan of salvation for gay people. Like, there was just no room. They'll be fixed, and that's that. Yeah. Or they'll be cast out, and that's that. Just the way that they were talked about, the way that, like, 
living that lifestyle that they choose is so sinful. And then I would meet gay people and I would just be like, these don't match up. And I just tried to keep those thoughts separate for so long until I just really couldn't. But there were, I mean, there were other things like just the way that like you're shamed if you miss a week or two of Sunday and then people Mm -hmm. in the community feel like it's their job to like pull you back to church. So they'll instantly be like, Hey, we didn't see you Sunday. Where were you? Like, Little things like that where it just felt like boundaries were being crossed all the time or boundaries didn't exist, I guess I should say. And, um, yeah, just all this cognitive dissonance. But then at one of the general conference, so I guess there was a pivotal moment for me. At one of the general conferences, um, one of the leaders gave a talk about people who even sympathize with those in the LGBT community and basically called people who sympathize with queer people, he called them to repentance. And like, I remember I was really struggling with like keeping my religious beliefs and my like human rights beliefs separate. Yeah. And when he said that, like the boxes touched, they crashed into each other and I couldn't, I couldn't keep them separate anymore. And I remember just looking at Steph and I'm like, did he just say you need to repent for loving gay people? And stuff was like, I think he did. And it was like that moment where I was like, and that's yeah. when I started like looking into non-church approved literature. We didn't even talk about that. Like yeah. there's all this, there's, there's this teaching in the church that anybody who says anything against the church is anti-Mormon and they're yeah. influenced by Satan and they're trying to pull you away from the church. And so anything that you read that like goes against the church, there's like a very small set of church approved literature that you can read and anything else is like of the world and of Satan and it's going to try and pull you away and it's anti-Mormon. Like just literature in general? Like it's just objective literature. It's just objective literature, non-biased literature. Yeah. It's truth. It's, it's historically factual. Yeah. Like peer reviewed academic articles by scholars and historians (laughs) and, you know, anthropologists and whatever else. But I can see why that wouldn't be church approved, right? Like they don't, people would run out in droves. It's not faith promoting. (laughs) Yeah. And so did you guys have a lot of conversations in private about these feelings? We were kind of going through them separately at first, just organically too. Like it wasn't like she tried to influence me or I tried to influence her, but you know, I was probably like the two or three years before I realized that I was trans and accepted that I was just feeling increasingly disillusioned with the church. Mm-hmm. I was in leadership meetings. So I was attending committee meetings and I just thought this weird brand of Christianity is just like so unfulfilling to me. Mm-hmm. And I was becoming increasingly politically and socially aware. Um, you know, I was paying attention really closely to the 2016 election and just not happy with where things were going had lots of concerns with the church's just kind of um, indifference or apathy towards things like that. Yeah. And so then I just started to research. And like I said, I was looking into things like that, trying to figure out, you know, do the origins and the history of the church, does it really like lend credence to this idea that it was this divine beginning of God's true kingdom on the earth? And you look into it and it's this charlatan who was marrying 30 something other women, some of whom were like 14 years old. And just lots of sexual misconduct and then just the claims that the church has about its own truthfulness. It's just like, this doesn't hold up under scrutiny. And those were not the narratives we were taught growing up either. We were taught that Joseph Smith had one wife and like 
Mm. was very pure and kind and was killed because people just didn't want the church to happen because they were influenced by Satan and Satan didn't want this church on this earth. Yeah. We're adults who are like basically in our thirties and we're like, I've been to church every single week of my life and I've never heard about any of these things that are verified by scholars and historians and things like that. So we eventually kind of started talking about it with each other and we reached a point where we're like, yeah, I think we're done with this. But to be clear, my trans identity had nothing to do with this. We hadn't even got to that point yet. We just decided this church is not what we were raised to believe it is. Mm -hmm. And we can't keep our integrity and stay in the church at the same time. So the church needs to go. Yeah. Yeah. And what does that, when you say, okay, let's leave, what does that look like? What does that entail? Because you are a member, right? If yeah. I understand Mormonism correctly. Um, essentially paralyzing fear. For the yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because you're also taught that people who leave are just unhappy. Yeah. People who, leave, in fact, I just did a video on my TikTok responding to one of the like BYU professors talking about like some uh, teenager asked him, what should I do if I'm struggling with my testimony? And he basically said like, look at the countenances of people who don't believe and look at the countenances of people who do believe. And you'll just see that they're happier and people who are outside of the church just have so much drama and unhappiness in their life. And so like, those are the messages that you are consistently taught growing up. So you think like, okay, shoot, what do I do now? Because I don't believe this, but like, I need to figure out how to believe this again, because if I don't, I'm just going to be so miserable for all of my life. And I'm going to bring all this sadness into my life. And especially for my kids, like what's their life going to look like if Mm -hmm. they don't have this church that I don't believe is true anymore, but that claims to be true. And so it's just like this paralyzing fear. And you're also taught that you won't get to be with your family in heaven if you're not right, if you're not righteous and and obedient. And I remember saying to Steph, like, I don't believe this. I don't want to go anymore, but I can't lose our kids. I can't lose my family. Yeah. And how did your family react? They're, they've been respectful. Uh Um, so I, I have five siblings, four brothers, one sister. Me and my sister and one of my brothers don't believe in the church anymore. And then the rest mm. are active believing members. So I wasn't the first one in my family to leave. Mm-hmm. But I was so, so in the church that I think I might have been the most disappointing one for my mom. <laughs> oh, no. She's like, all right, we have her for sure. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, it's been two years and she still has a hard time. Yeah. Like, she's still talks about it but I mean overall they've been respectful I that's something that um I probably take for granted is that Mm -hmm. a lot of LDS families there there's not you're not taught to set good boundaries and you're not taught to respect other people's boundaries growing up and so a lot of times like families will be very invasive and very um rude about people's decision to leave because you're also taught that you need to make sure as parents, you need to make sure that there are no empty chairs in heaven and that all of your kids get there. And so it's seen by a lot of Mormon parents as like a failure for them to have a child that leaves. It's like a personal reflection of their failure in parenthood. Right. And um, was there concern over your children, like from their grandparents? Was yeah. there oh, sort of like, please keep them in the church? <laughs> yeah. Concerned, yeah. Yeah. In fact, I just told my mom, I'm like, you can teach my kids about Jesus if you want to like feel free yeah feel free to teach them whatever you want but like 
they ultimately get to make their own decision and they get to make an informed decision, which means I'll be teaching them everything I believe as well and everything I don't believe. So once I told her, like, feel free to teach him what you want, she, I think that calmed her a bit. She's like, okay, I can teach him about what I want to teach them about and I'm not going to be upset about that. Yeah. And Steph, what about you when you guys left the church? Yeah, luckily and very, very rarely is my entire family has left the church since. So we all grew up in the church and my two older brothers, they left when I was younger. Um, My sisters have left. My mom's left. Um, So, yeah, it's not really a concern in my family anymore. But after Katie and I left, we basically stopped attending church. We asked, you know, the leader of our local congregation to take us out of our callings, which, you know, we were both teaching classes at that time. Then eventually we, you know, sent a request into the church headquarters to have our family removed from the records of the church so that now we're not affiliated affiliated with it in any way. And why is that important? If your name is on the records of the church, they keep track of what congregation you belong to. So they'll have your physical address and they will send missionaries or people from the church over to your house frequently to try to reconvert you and get you to come back to church. So for people who stop believing but don't take their name off the records of the church, they're kind of harassed continually until they end up doing that. And for me, we decided to take our names off the records of the church after, you know, I'd come out and done all that. But part of that was, you know, I didn't like the name and the gender that they had on my mm-hmm. records and that I, you know, wasn't given the freedom to change. So it was just kind of like the last straw. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. You don't want people coming around referring to you as male and calling you by your dead name. Yeah. Yeah. Is there any pushback when you put that request yeah. in? Yeah. Yes. There wasn't for us, but for a lot okay. of people. There. They have a protocol in place where if somebody, you know, starts that process, um, then, you know, like the bishop or the leader of the local congregation will try to come over and find out what's going on and talk you out of it if oh. possible. And if you're receptive to meetings like that, like I think that will continue until hopefully right. they can resolve your concerns. But we were very upfront from the beginning. Like we understand that you want to come over and talk us out of that and we're not interested. Like we just want this process to go as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. And fortunately they were respectful of that. Okay. Yeah, we, we did get lucky. I mean, he did come talk to us just to see where we were but he was very respectful about like the boundaries we set and he was very much like very progressive thinking in in the mormon church and part of me wonders if he even believes or if he's just like hanging out because his family's there um get out while you can can." what was that get out while you can (laughs) yeah (laughs) no he was very much just like do you know I feel like you can be a really great person in the church or out of the church and you can have a great relationship with God in the church or out of the church. And this changes nothing about the way I see you guys. And, you know, our family still loves you and you're wonderful. So we had a really great experience with removing our our names. Wow, I'm so glad. But some people have a lot of pushback where bishops or stake presidents refuse to take their name off the record and so then you have to get like lawyers involved because you don't have any say over your own name unless you have a figure of authority Mm -hmm. giving you the okay wow do you find that it is more common now that people are leaving the church or is it just because of things like tiktok where we're seeing it more or is it happening more it's definitely happening more. Okay. And it's it's because of the internet. It's because people are able to so freely share their experiences. Yes. And so you can see people um, talking about why they left, or you can just 
even if people don't talk about why they left, you can see people who did leave, mm-hmm. who are living a good life, who genuinely seem happy, and and it it creates cognitive dissonance because mm-hmm. they don't match what the leaders of the church are saying happens yes. when you leave. Yeah. Their life isn't falling apart. And in fact, I was outside in our front yard a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago, and one of my neighbors, who I haven't seen since like pre-COVID, right? Like right mm-hmm. when we left. I, have, I haven't seen her for like a year and a half. She walked by and she, we were talking for a minute and she just stopped and she goes, you know, you seem a lot happier. And wow. I was like, thank you. I am. I really do feel very happy. And like, I, I told Stefan, like, that's not typically something that yeah. a Mormon would say. And yeah, it, yeah. So I wonder if it was kind of like weird for her to like mm-hmm. see me being yeah. happy. It's like, yeah. wait a second, you should be falling apart. What's happening? Why don't you look like you're going to cry all the time? Yeah. <laughs> But anecdotally, I could tell you that, you know, since leaving, we could talk about dozens and dozens of like immediate family members or friends or neighbors that have left the church. And growing up, like I knew like maybe one or two. Right. But now, like with the Internet and TikTok and Instagram and like other outlets, you see, you know, people taking their family of seven, like we're done with the church and we're not going back. And yeah. So I have two different questions. My first one about that is. Do you know if the, like, are they panicking? Because there seems to be this, like, mass exodus of the Mormon church. And like Michelle said, is it just because we're seeing it? But you said it seems to be that there are more people. Are they panicking? I think my interpretation of that would be the leaders kind of have this responsibility to present themselves as if there's no problem at all. Right, right. So when they get together in general conferences or meetings like that, they don't address like a mass exodus from the church because once they utter that, then it becomes a reality for them. But if they deny and continue, like everything's just going on as normal, then it gives the perception to everybody who's still in the church that everything is normal and that, you know, people who do leave, it's just a one-off here and there, but it's not a big problem. You're kind of in this little bubble when you're in Mormonism. Like you don't really pay, you're so busy with all the things they ask you to do Mm -hmm. and all the things they tell you, you have to be doing that. You're so busy that like, it's you don't really notice that right. tons of people are mm-hmm. are leaving or you don't think much of it you don't really give it any thought you don't question that at all you just kind of write them off as like deceived and mm-hmm. yeah. sinful and you just kind of go about your way but i think if the leaders did address that publicly it would probably lead to a lot more people leaving and that's why right. they pretend like it's not an issue wow I just used to read statistics in general conference saying we have this many members of the church. We've baptized this many people this year and they've stopped doing that. Oh, interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Well, and I guess I feel like especially there haven't been as many international missions. Yeah. I think there are a number of, Oh, what was it? I saw a statistical report from a local newspaper the other day that said the church's growth rate is the lowest it's been since like 1940 something so and a lot of that obviously is influenced by coronavirus and a lot of the missions that they weren't able to do last year but right yeah i think for those who have their ear close enough to the ground there's a lot of information out there suggesting that the church is struggling i just have this image of like all the leaders around a table and they're like, they give a presentation and then they slowly close the door and they're like, Oh my God, guys, what are we going to do? Yeah, Everybody's yeah. leaving. And it's How not just the Mormon TikTok? church. I think, like, I think Christianity and religious belief as a whole, like yes. you'll see a lot of Gallup reports where like 
especially for people in our age demographic. Like it's just becoming less and less frequent for people our age to have religious affiliation at all. Yeah. Yeah. And it it seems like our age are, you know, that's when you start questioning everything, right? Is when you start having your own children and you start deciding what you want to do with your family. And to be perfectly honest, I think like something that we didn't really mention, but you know, in the broad picture, I think one of the biggest reasons we left the church is that initially we were attracted to this idea of Jesus as this figure who loves and serves and forgives and has compassion and helps other people and is so loving and accepting. And what we saw in our church contradicted that example. And so we felt like, I don't want to belong to an organization that interferes with me loving and accepting and just being an all around good person. Yeah. Right. I didn't want to teach my kids to love with parameters. Yes. Right? Yeah. We were just talking about that. We were just talking about conditional love yeah. and how so many of us were raised that way. Mm-hmm. And that, that we this, love you, but yeah. if you turn right. out gay, yeah. it's yeah. conditional. Or if you right. don't follow this, this path. Yeah. yeah. I had a quick question about, well, I don't know if it's quick, but did having kids make it more compelling to leave the church because you didn't want that for them or was it harder to leave the church maybe you'll disagree but i think having kids kind of accelerated our departure from the church i i think for me it kind of like revealed how mundane and monotonous the church lifestyle is we like i had this son that i wanted to be home with on the week and spend my time with but instead i had to go fulfill like these responsibilities and obligations at the church that were that was taking me away from home right. being with my son And on Sundays, you know, I'd be in committee meetings for a lot of the day and, you know, trying to get our kids into church like they hated it. And it was just awful. And we were trying to go to church to, like, feel this fulfillment, feel close to God. And it was just becoming increasingly difficult. And so when we realized that morally we can leave the church and be better off than we ever were with the church, it was just such an easy decision. We can leave the church and, like, keep the good things that we got from it, leave all the bad things, the homophobia, the transphobia, the conditional love like you're talking about yeah and I don't feel like it was an easy decision for me I think once I like learned about how dishonest the church had been about the narrative I was taught and like the history of the church just the way that things are handled then it was easy for me but like I couldn't just step back and be like yeah you can be a moral good person outside of the church and I'm just gonna go ahead and go do that Mm -hmm, like it was just so deeply ingrained in me that I it wasn't super easy for me it wasn't even learning that the church was wrong it was still hard for me to step away because I liked it I Mm -hmm. liked going to church yeah I liked having a place to go I mean it was monotonous and it was hard especially with little kids especially so when we did leave Steph was working full-time going to school full-time and had these callings from the church you you were in presidency calling so like you were really Mm -hmm. busy you had to go do things Mm -hmm. On weeknights, you had you were gone so much of the weekend. I didn't see you that much, and so I was very happy to have you back. Yeah. But, like, I had a lot of friends in our neighborhood, yeah. and I had yeah. – I belong. Like, I fit the cookie-cutter mold pretty well, mm-hmm. Yeah. and I, I enjoyed it. And so that was really hard for me to step back and, like, withdraw myself from that without – without really having anything else to do. And so for a little bit after we left, we had to come up with something else to do every single Sunday because (laughs) I just, I would sit home and just like cry, you know, if if we didn't go do something. So there's an amusement park by our house. And so we would go every Sunday and that became our new church. And that was (laughs) was really family for me. I was going to say, that sounds like a way more fun church. 
it yeah. really was like the and church of six flags <laughs> yeah <laughs> once i had exposure to life outside the church i was like oh yeah this is definitely better i would uh, definitely like wake up drink some coffee go on roller mm-hmm. coasters drink some pop yeah maybe have a bev- yeah. an alcoholic beverage later yeah <laughs> right, what was that yeah. like for you guys did you were you prescribed to as like a married mormon couple no caffeine no all the other things alcohol yeah so i mean there's something called a word of wisdom in the church which is basically like it depends who you ask about caffeinated beverages because lots of people here live off of like diet coke but then there are some who say like you can't have caffeine so it just it really depends who you ask but but i was definitely taught no coffee no tea no alcohol and in the word of wisdom it says like you should eat very little meat and you should eat like a lot of grains that's kind of just discarded because a lot of people don't want to do that but they very much focus on the no coffee no tea no alcohol aspect of it and I I followed that very I remember trying coffee in high school and I loved it (laughs) but I was very very (laughs) good about never ever drinking it I had it like once or twice in high school felt awful talked to the bishop about it wow repented and yeah didn't drink it again until after we left and what was that like was there was there sort of like a fun I don't know like did you feel guilty or was it sort of like a fun experiment I felt guilty I felt guilty for sure I I wasn't super active growing up and so I lived in Las Vegas as a teenager and so when we just weren't going to church regularly it was easier for me to like follow what my friends were doing and like grab a coffee when they got a coffee but once I started going back to church regularly which was about when I was 17, then I felt really guilty and awful and yeah, was so worried that I had ruined my entire eternal salvation because I had coffee, you know? Because that makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So instead I just started pumping my body full of soda pop because that's the healthy alternative. Well, and that's what I don't understand is that a lot of the people that I follow on, you know, Instagram that are, are Mormon, they don't drink coffee, but they'll drink like insane like amounts ounce. of, yeah. yeah. Wow. They'll go to like Swig or something and get yeah. giant pops. And it's like, <laughs> what's the difference? The difference is that soda did not exist when oh, the word of wisdom was created. Right. And so oh, there's a it's loophole. like that gray okay. area where, yeah. where Mormons can have their caffeine and it's right. not explicitly breaking the word of wisdom because oh, it didn't exist back then that so funny so that's, fine. yeah that's hilarious <laughs> yeah wow I I don't I'm just I, you guys are so lovely yeah <laughs> I literally I we're flying to Utah we're gonna have let's hang out we've got we've got room here come stay yeah. with us well we're so appreciative of you guys taking time out of your day I know you guys are both so busy um so thank you so much much. it's been so nice to get to know you and talk with you guys yeah Yeah, absolutely awesome well uh enjoy the rest of your day and we will connect soon and okay you too yeah thank Thank you you thanks so much we'll talk soon all right take care Bye. bye bye hey michelle hello i was waiting till you're like Drinking? Halfway through a sip or a bite of something to yeah. start recording. Sorry. No, that's all good. Uh, Katie and Steph, holy smokes, thank you so much for your, I don't know, candid, honest, lovely. Informative. In, yeah. We literally could have talked for oh, eight more hours. Absolutely. 
Um, and I'm so excited to talk to you both again. Yeah. And yeah, you guys, y'all, y'all are just the cutest family. <laughs> I don't know where y'all came from, but you guys are seriously the cutest family. Yeah, it, it was amazing to kind of, I don't know, just learn all that stuff and to chat. And- it's funny to think that people are listening to this and I'm up on a mountain with I'm not going to be able to check numbers. Usually all days no. Tuesday, I check like what our download numbers are. Well, there it goes. I'm not going. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, friends. I actually have to keep track of our analytics <laughs> specifically on that day. So it's very important. Yeah. All right, guys. Thoughts and prayers to me. Yep. Who is on a mountain Thoughts somewhere. Thoughts and prayers to me because you're going to be gone. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't sign up for that. Yeah. Anyways, find us on Instagram. Find us on TikTok, Facebook. Uh, Patreon. Hopefully Carling will have some sort of service at some point where she can post something of her adventure. <laughs> yeah. Not- I'll film it Blair Witch style. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to make like a TikTok and a reel out of it, though. Yeah, you have to. Because I'm going to have my phone. So. Absolutely. All right, guys. Have a okay. great week. And hopefully I will talk to you next week. <laughs> Bye. Bye.